Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army, and thank you so much for tuning in again. I am your host, Margot, and for any first-timers, this is a true crime podcast where I focus on murders committed by military members and veterans. You don't have to know anything about the military to enjoy listening, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. From the start of my military murder journey, I have been trying to wrap my head around all of the case recommendations that I get on a daily basis, as well as tracking all the currently pending military murder stories in the news. And this week, I finally got around to researching one of our very own listener-recommended cases. This one came from Facebook, and it is a terrifying tale. All right, before moving on to today's case, I just want everyone to join my newsletter. I've noticed that I spend so much time at the start of my show with updates or miscellaneous information, yada, 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 and I want to cut all that information out. So if you want to be in the know of all things military murder, you need to join the newsletter. This is where I will announce new giveaways, unique upcoming episodes, and special episodes where I feature guests. Yes, True Crime Army, my intent is to, in the next few months, expand the show and maybe bring you some new segments, maybe where I talk to experts or even people connected to the case. But anyway... I need everyone to sign up for the newsletter so that you can be in the know. There are a ton of ways to join, but I'm going to make this super simple for you. Just shoot me a message. If you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, just shoot me a message on there saying, sign me up for the newsletter, or you can shoot me an email at militarymurderpodcast at gmail.com. It's that easy. All right. Today's case is about a militia rising among the ranks of the soldiers of Fort Stewart, Georgia. And the terrifying thing is they were military members with the intent to attack their own military installation. These men recruited other disgruntled soldiers who felt that they had been wronged by their leadership. And boy, oh boy, did they have a bone to pick. This militia, a group of soldiers that called themselves FEAR, an acronym that stands for Forever Enduring, Always Ready, was led by a charismatic leader by the name of Isaac Agigi, an army private. Join me today as I discuss the fear for soldiers of Fort Stewart, Georgia, and the brutal murders of two other soldiers and an innocent bystander. Today's sources come from an investigation discovery show called Deadly Devotions, The War Within, an article in The Daily Beast by Caitlin Dixon, a New Yorker article by Nadia Labi, news articles by The Army Times, The LA Times, The Daily Mail, The Savannah Morning News, also, a U.S. Army Court of Criminal Appeals court decision, an article by Task and Purpose, an article by WSA V3, and a few Southern Poverty Law Center articles. Our story begins in 2009 at the U.S. Military Academy Prep School in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. By the way, this prep school has since moved to West Point, and that move happened in 2011. The U.S. Military Academy Prep School is a school that you attend after high school, and it's a step towards getting you into West Point. West Point is a federal service academy where Army prospects attend college in hopes of becoming military officers. And it should be noted that officer in military terms doesn't mean a police officer. It just means a military leader. 
Let's just say that getting into the prep school and West Point is a prestigious accomplishment and they don't just accept people willy-nilly. Well, Isaac Agigi and Deidre Wetzger met as cadets at the prep school. Isaac was a military brat whose family ultimately settled in Kashmir, Washington. He was one of five kids, but his parents did later take on two cousins, so it was a big family with seven children. Isaac was homeschooled his entire life, and his family was very religious. Of public schools, Isaac told the New Yorker that he often looked at public schools with a sense of longing, like he felt like he was missing out. While being homeschooled, he was given permission to join the local swim team, and this gave him the out that he needed. According to his grandmother, Isaac was a role model, a good kid, and very intelligent. And Isaac was good with guns. He had been shooting them since he was 11 years old. He always envisioned himself as a militiaman, especially with his fascination with guerrilla fighters. In 2008, he became a page for the Republican National Convention. And in 2009, he found himself at West Point Prep School. By the time that Deidre Wetzger was at West Point Prep, the military was old hat for her. She had already enlisted in the army. Deidre was one of seven kids and her family was Mormon. And according to her dad, Deidre was feisty and his most difficult child. It wasn't until she became a teenager that her parents decided to homeschool her. And when they did that, she rebelled by boycotting church and eventually dropping out of high school. She eventually did earn her GED and she joined the army. She picked up languages super fast, so the army made her an Arab linguist. She excelled at her new career as a linguist, and within a year and a half at the Defense Language Institute, the Army saw Deidre's potential, and they encouraged her to try to commission as an officer. And then she entered West Point Prep. So that's where Isaac and Deidre met. Although dating other cadets wasn't against the rules, the dorms were segregated by gender, and getting caught in an opposite gender dorm room would have consequences. Nadia Labi reported in The New Yorker that Isaac's roommate accused him of sleeping in Deidre's room, which led to Isaac being kicked out of prep school. But he wanted to be in the military, so after being kicked out of prep, he instead enlisted in the army. Deidre, who was already in the army, decided to follow Isaac, and she also left prep school, and they got married. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Being married to the military is tough. In 2010, the pair spent a considerable amount of married life separated. Isaac was at boot camp, and then he went to intel training and finally wound up at Fort Stewart, Georgia as an intelligence analyst. In 2010, Deidre was deployed to Iraq. And as I researched this case, I found a clip of Deidre sending a message home to her loved ones for the holidays. And here it is. Hi, I'm Specialist Deirdre Gigi with Bravo Company 4-3 BSTB from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I wish my family a happy holidays. Love you guys. After this video was recorded, a mortar attack struck and injured some members of her unit. Deidre later developed an embolism in her femur and she was sent home. She was finally reunited with her husband in December of 2010. But the almost year-long separation strained their relationship and unbeknownst to Deidre, Isaac was cheating on her left and right while she was deployed, and his unfaithfulness made him so paranoid about her that he actually had people spying on her while she was deployed. Wow. Anyway, within months of being back together, the relationship got pretty bad, so Deidre kicked him out and got a military protective order. But then she found out that she was pregnant, so she let him move back into the house in June of 2011. After Isaac moved back in, life seemed to be looking up. 
They went to concerts together and it appeared that they were both really excited for this new chapter and this new baby. However, tragedy would soon strike. On July 17, 2011, Deidre took a nap on the couch and Isaac took a nap in his bed. When Isaac woke up, he attempted to wake Deidre up, but she was unresponsive. He immediately called 911 and there was nothing they could do. Deidre was dead and Calvin, their baby boy, didn't make it. He was 23 weeks in the womb. This tragic death made Isaac a young widower and Isaac would share that doctors thought that Deidre died from blood clots. Because Deidre was active duty military when she died, her survivor's benefits would go to Isaac. Let's just say that Isaac got over a $500,000 payout. According to reports from Isaac's friends, after Deidre died, he wasn't doing very well. He was always moping and he even had a crying outburst in the middle of a party. He was coping with his wife's death by engulfing himself in all types of drugs, marijuana, cocaine, ecstasy, bath salt, and he spent a lot of money on strippers and girls. During this time, as he spiraled, it's not surprising to find out that he began to get into trouble in the military. And it was while he was serving his punishment that he began to meet other soldiers who were also in trouble. And Isaac's anger at the military began to build. Every minute that went by, every second that went by, he became a disgruntled employee, basically a ticking time bomb. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code Mama Margo, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. It was while Isaac was relegated to extra duty that he began to share his discontent with the military and the government as a whole. And he would share this discontent with his friend, Private Christopher Salmon. Christopher, another soldier, was in trouble for committing travel voucher fraud in Iraq. Christopher was married to a former army soldier, Heather Salmon. She had recently been discharged from the army for prescription drug abuse. And according to the Daily Beast, 
she had also been discharged for firing a weapon at her husband after an argument. Isaac would rant and rave to Christopher about the ridicule and restrictions created by the army. And according to The New Yorker, Isaac had claimed that the army killed his wife by prescribing her drugs that caused a deadly blood clot. And Isaac's ideology would turn from rhetoric to action. In September of 2011, Isaac went to a gun shop and purchased $32,000 worth of guns and ammo. Say what now? Yes, you heard that correctly. So what does $32,000 get you at the gun shop, you might be thinking? Apparently, it was 14 guns, including high-powered rifles, lots of attachments and gadgets, and tons of ammunition. It was then that Isaac became the big man on campus. At this moment, he began to plot out active shooter scenarios with his friends, basically while shooting the breeze. During one of Isaac's extra duty days, he met a young, impressionable guy named Michael Rourke. We're going to meet another young man named Michael later on in this story, so we'll call this Michael Mike. Mike was in trouble for fighting and reckless driving, and he was getting fed up with the army. He was the type of soldier who was the first to raise his hand when taking volunteers for deployment. But he and his unit kept getting passed up, and Michael was mad. He really wanted to deploy. Isaac saw the anger in Mike, and this is where Isaac's recruiting tactics get crazy. And this is why charismatic personalities are so scary because they can get people to do just about anything. Once Isaac knew that a soldier was disgruntled, he'd invite them out. And once the person was out with him, he would have that person read an article about a video game. Seems harmless, right? Well, the video game was called Rainbow Six Patriots, and the article was a featured piece in the Game Informer magazine. According to most sources for today's episode, the article read more like a manifesto, and it was about a rogue group of counter-terrorists intent on overthrowing the government. Isaac would watch intently as the disgruntled soldier read the article, studying their every reaction. Once potential recruits were done reading, Isaac would get chatty. He would be like, oh, so what did you think? Did you agree? And if they did, boom, they were in. Isaac called this moment the awakening. Mike Rourke was in. What was he in, you're probably wondering. Well, we'll soon find out. Isaac also met a soldier named Private First Class Michael Burnett. We'll call him Burnett. Burnett was in trouble with the Army for having two unregistered firearms, which is how he found himself on the same extra duty shift as Isaac. Burnett was recently divorced and he had custody of his one-year-old son. Burnett was disgruntled with the government because of the ongoing war. He told the New Yorker, quote, We've been fighting a war for over 10 years with no political gain. I have friends who went to Iraq and Afghanistan who have been killed or wounded by roadside bombs and terrorists blowing themselves up. And nothing has changed, end quote. Ignited with this fear in his belly and a leader who promised to make good on his threats that the government must be overthrown, Isaac recruited Burnett in his militia, which he called FEAR. FEAR is an acronym and it stands for Forever Enduring, Always Ready. Another member of the group was Adam Dearman, a military police officer who had been recruited into FEAR after returning from Iraq, diagnosed with PTSD and with thoughts of suicide that wouldn't leave his thoughts. And the militia recruits as actual U.S. soldiers, they were all trained in weaponry. One such fear member was Sergeant Anthony Peden, a sniper who had also just returned from deployment to a failed marriage and money problems. Anthony would show others in the group how to shoot with accuracy 
and he even showed Isaac how to make homemade bombs. According to Isaac's audio journal, his militia would have no rank structure. It would be more like a bike club, like a community. And Isaac had big dreams for fear. According to Heather Salmon, who spoke to Nadia of The New Yorker, Isaac's dad was going to, quote, drill the militia on weekends, end quote, which I assume means his dad was just going to get up in everybody's face and yell at them. But I could be wrong. Anyway, Isaac envisioned his militia being big enough that there would be a small elite platoon within fear. And this platoon would be called the 666. And fear even had a, I'm going to call this a logo. It was the overlapping of the Greek letters Alpha and Omega. This logo would go on to be embedded on weapons, and Isaac and a few other members got it tattooed on their bodies. I don't have enough time to get into how crazed Isaac had become with talks about his militia, but that New Yorker piece that I read is really, really detailed. The author of that New Yorker, Nadia, she must have taken months or even years to communicate with all of the members of this group. But let me just say, Isaac had an alter ego he named Loki. You know, the god of mischief, like in the Avengers. But Isaac also had another voice in his head. He referred to this voice as Grey. And Grey was the referee between the good and the bad within him. Seriously, guys, I can't make this stuff up. Over the days and the months, this group of militiamen became family. Isaac was the leader, the father figure. Christopher was the second in command. And Heather was the mama bear, the bookkeeper. And according to the New Yorker piece, Deidre, remember Isaac's late wife, she became the star that guided this militia. Isaac envisioned doing a lot of what he was doing as an ode to Deidre. Fear was committing all types of crimes, but they were keen on robberies including stealing firearms, military equipment, televisions, and other pawnable items. According to Isaac, whenever he didn't show up for work, he bribed his supervisor with money, over time paying roughly $6,000. Isaac even attempted to recruit a local bouncer and former Navy recruit to become his chief of security. This guy, Jeffrey Roberts, the security prospect, when he was approached by Isaac, kind of started thinking about it. But after seeing Fear's weapons cache and how they were spending so much money on drugs, Jeffrey Roberts opted out. But Roberts described a terrifying scene, a scene out of a movie. Roberts got summoned to the Fear headquarters, sent up to a room. And when he walked into this room, the room was covered in plastic. Think Dexter, the show about a serial killer that kills serial killers. Anyway, In that plastic-covered room, he was met by a bat-yielding fear member, and Roberts was confronted as a potential snitch. But Roberts was able to talk himself out of that room, never to return to that house ever again. Once 19-year-old Mike Rourke had become a member of fear, he met a young 17-year-old girl online. Her name was Tiffany York. She was in high school and her family life wasn't the best. Her parents were divorced and she was a daddy's girl. But her father lived in California and she was forced to live with her mother who uprooted the family after the divorce and moved to Georgia. Tiffany's mother, Brenda Thomas, remarried and things weren't the best between Tiffany and Wesley Thomas, her stepfather. Tiffany and Mike began dating and Tiffany began to rebel a little bit, mostly by getting home past her curfew. Her stepfather was fed up with Tiffany's disobedience and Tiffany decided to move out and go live with Mike. After Tiffany moved in with Mike, it was almost as if Mike did a complete 180 from being a fear member. At first, being a part of fear was fun. 
It got his adrenaline pumping. He was excited to be a part of something big, but he had no one to protect but himself. Now that Tiffany was living with him, he began to feel a big responsibility for his girlfriend and their future. And it appeared that he began to slowly step away from the group. This was also around the same time that Mike was facing an administrative separation from the military for all of his misconduct. Mike was looking forward to a fresh start and he knew the military discharge would come at any moment. Around the same time, Heather, the group's bookkeeper and mama bear, was noticing that things in the finances weren't balancing and it all revolved around Mike's purchases. Immediately, the group began to think that Mike was stealing from them. And then they noticed that Mike had rented a secret storage unit and this was suspicious to the group. One night, after Mike was already disillusioned with the fear militia, Mike and Isaac were playing video games while the others watched. Mike beat Isaac in the game and Mike was popping off at Isaac like, "Mm, I beat you, I whooped your butt, what you gonna do about it? When without provocation, Isaac took out a knife and attacked Mike. Mike put his arm up to protect himself and Isaac slashed his arm. Mike and Tiffany immediately left the house before the fight escalated any further. But this was the last straw for Mike. He had to get out of the fear militia. According to the Deadly Devotions documentary on this case, Mike was officially discharged from the military on December 2nd, but he kept his discharge a secret from the fear group. Mike purchased a one-way ticket for him and Tiffany to move to Washington state. But before they would secretly leave, they decided to take a short weekend getaway to visit Mike's father in Florida. Off the pair went. The documentary stated that while Mike and Tiffany were away, Heather discovered Mike purchased one-way tickets to Washington. Isaac was livid. He was sure that now that Mike was no longer in the military, he was skipping town and would soon reveal Fear's plot to overtake the government. And Isaac decided that Mike had to die. And zero members of Fear objected. They would, after all, follow their fearless leader to the end. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. The New Yorker revealed that after discovering Mike's alleged theft of fear funds, Isaac completely lost it. He tortured a stray cat, saying Loki, his evil alter ego, envisioned this cat as his commanding officer. So he stabbed the cat, tried to shove his hand down the cat's throat to feel its heart beating, 
and then chopped the cat's head off. Even with this level of violence, none of the others said or did anything. On December 5th, the day that Mike and Tiffany had returned from their weekend getaway, they were packing when Mike got a call from Isaac. Mike assumed that Isaac felt bad about slashing him, and so Isaac had invited Mike to go night shooting. And I was wondering, what is night shooting? Night shooting is literally that, shooting at night. So Isaac called Mike. So Mike thought that Isaac was inviting him to night shoot to patch things over. Mike agreed because he knew that it would be the last time that he would see the guys anyway. That night, Mike showed up to the house and the guys came out and they were shocked to see Tiffany with Mike. They thought he was coming alone. Their intent was only to kill Mike, but now they needed to figure out what to do with Tiffany. Quickly, they huddled trying to figure out if Tiffany should be spared or if she should also die. There were five voting members. Heather and Burnett thought Tiffany didn't have to die. Anthony and Christopher, however, knew that she would bring them down if not eliminated. So the deciding vote was on Isaac and Isaac decided they both needed to die. Burnett was not a fan of this idea and Isaac could tell that Burnett was hesitant. So according to Burnett, Isaac showed Burnett the gun and threatened to kill his son if he didn't go through with the group. The four guys, Isaac, Burnett, Anthony, and Christopher, went in one car and Mike and Tiffany followed behind in theirs. Along the way, they stopped at a place that seemed to be a good spot for night shooting. The guys got out of their car while Tiffany and Mike were still in theirs. Anthony walked straight towards Tiffany's side, opened the door, and ruthlessly executed Tiffany. Then he checked for a pulse and executed her again. At this point, Mike was screaming bloody murder, but before he could do anything, Christopher was holding a gun at Mike and ordered him out of the car and made him kneel. Referring to Tiffany, Christopher yelled, this is all your fault. Mike pled for his life, but his pleas were ignored. Isaac then gave Christopher the nod and Christopher executed Mike. As they retrieved the shell casings and were walking towards the car, Anthony looked at Christopher and told him to, quote, double tap, end quote. So Christopher obediently returned to Mike and executed him one last time. The foursome then returned to the house and burned their clothes, shell casings, and a cell phone in a fire pit at the house. According to the Daily Beast, a member of the fear group then called Adam Dearman, another fear member, remember I mentioned him earlier, and instructed him to move the bodies and dispose of the car. Adam and his brother Randall, Randall was not a member of fear, then headed towards the crime scene, but other circumstances would prevent them from getting to the bodies. The brothers, Adam and Randall, were confronted by one of their victims of a car theft, and Adam shot the man, so he was arrested. So Mike and Tiffany remained in the exact location where they were murdered. The next morning, two local men made the gruesome discovery of the two teenagers near Morgan Lake. Dental records later confirmed the two teenagers were Tiffany and Mike. Immediately upon discovering the identity of the victims, the investigators started their investigation with the army because they knew that Mike had just recently been separated from the army. The thing about this case is that Isaac was already under a cloud of suspicion after one of his family members had reported an unusually high and pricey weapons purchase. Not only was Isaac being watched by the terrorism task force, 
but the Army Criminal Investigation Division was already looking into Deidre's suspicious death. Once the investigators got to chatting with Mike's old unit and Isaac's old unit, a picture emerged of a militia of deadly soldiers working at a Fort Stewart under the very noses of the military. Armed with a search warrant, investigators searched all of the houses of the Fear Fort and got what they were looking for, a murder weapon, charred clothing and cell phones, and an arsenal of weapons with a value of close to $90,000. On December 10th, during a morning formation, Isaac, Burnett, Anthony, and Christopher were arrested and charged with Mike and Tiffany's murder. And boy, did the investigators have a field day with these wannabe bad boys. Anthony, the one who shot Tiffany in cold blood, broke first. Isaac, the big bad wolf who beheaded a cat, he fell in 20 minutes before he was weeping and crying like a baby, claiming that it was Anthony's idea to kill the couple. Burnett was relieved to tell the story, and Christopher refused to talk. Heather, Mama Bear, was also arrested by the civilians, and she was charged with 13 counts involving the fear militia and the murders. The investigation would reveal a deep-rooted hate for the military and a desire to restore the land to the people. Of particular note on the militia's to-do list was to assassinate President Barack Obama. Can you believe that? Isaac had promised the other members of FEAR that it would be like a new Independence Day. But before that hefty goal, they intended to attack Fort Stewart. And they wanted to not only burn the battalion to the ground, but they wanted to take over the ammunition control point and kidnap the highest army supervisor. On their to-do list, they also wanted to bomb a major dam, poison the Georgia apple crop, and infiltrate the drug trade between Canada and Washington state. But there was something else the investigation discovered. Before fear was even organized, there was that mysterious death of Deidre and her unborn baby. Well, Deidre's original autopsy immediately after she died came back inconclusive. A secondary autopsy, however, conducted after Isaac had been arrested for Mike and Tiffany's murder, revealed something different. That autopsy revealed that Deidre died of asphyxiation, most likely a chokehold. Before Deidre died, Isaac texted his on-again, off-again side piece, quote, Baby, you want to know something sexy? I'm not working another day, baby. We'll have plenty of money. All I need is your body whenever I want it, end quote. Although the Georgia prosecutors were originally seeking the death penalty in the murders of Michael Rourke and Tiffany York, the case would never be a capital case because all four members took a plea deal to take the death penalty off the table. Total, 11 members of fear would be indicted on all types of charges, Five of those members would be charged with Mike and Tiffany's murder, and most of those members were either military members or veterans. Burnett's trial was first, and in August of 2012, he pled guilty to manslaughter in exchange to testify against the other FEAR members. Remember, Burnett was the one who didn't want Mike and Tiffany to die, but Isaac had threatened his son. Isaac pled guilty to Mike and Tiffany's murder as well, and according to reports, during his guilty plea, he showed little remorse. From prison, Isaac wrote a letter to Christopher Salmon that read in part, quote, I miss you, bro. This all sucks, but we have got to keep it together. Yes, they've got us this time, but walls cannot contain a cause as strong as ours for long. One day we will all be free again together. 
and mark my words, my brother, we shall have our revenge, end quote. Part of the letter was also a request to get someone on the outside to send him a copy of that video game manifest, stating, quote, I could use the motivation. I love you, man. Keep your head up always. Remember, one day we will rise. Anarchy always. Signed, Loki. End quote. Isaac was sentenced to two life sentences in the state of Georgia. Then, Isaac was transferred to the military to be tried by court-martial for the murder of his wife and unborn child. Isaac pled guilty as well and was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for Deidre and Calvin's death. However, on appeal, Isaac argued that his trial defense team sucked and a bag of rocks could have done a better job. The appellate court tended to agree, but for purposes of the merits of the case, the appellate judge said, listen, dude, There was so much evidence, even if you had Tom Cruise defending you, you would have been convicted. Tom Cruise from A Few Good Men, you know? Okay. But the appellate judge did sympathize with Isaac and realized that the lack of a sentencing argument presented by the trial defense team was flawed and the court ordered a sentence rehearing. That decision came down in November of 2016, so roughly three and a half years ago, but I was unable to find the final sentence. But my guess is it doesn't really matter since Isaac is already serving two life sentences in Georgia anyway. On April 3rd, 2014, Christopher, the triggerman who killed Mike, he pled guilty to the murders as well. Mike's mother, Tracy Jarr, said during her victim impact statement, quote, I hope you suffer and I hope your days don't have any sunshine in them because you took mine from me, end quote. During Christopher's statement to the victim's family, Christopher said, quote, I'm sorry I killed your son and I'm sorry I did nothing to stop the murder of Tiffany. Hopefully you'll be able to find peace, end quote. To which Mike's father replied from the gallery, quote, oh, shut up, end quote. Anthony, the triggerman who killed Tiffany, pled guilty as well. During his sentencing hearing, he presented evidence of a highly tortured soul caused by his military service. He had been twice deployed to Afghanistan and once to Iraq between 2006 and 2011. He suffered from various traumatic brain injuries and had post-traumatic stress disorder from seeing his friends die and himself having to kill the enemy in combat. Anthony was heavily drugged with heroin at the time that he killed Tiffany. After consulting with Tiffany's family, the prosecutor and the family were okay with Anthony receiving life with the possibility of parole. He will serve 30 years before being considered for parole. In 2015, Heather pled guilty to two counts of voluntary manslaughter and two counts of violating the Street Gang Terrorism Act. She admitted to being an active participant in fear, but she said she was just young and naive. Although she originally didn't want Tiffany and Mike to die, she was ultimately okay with the plot to kill them. She even offered gloves and other things before the murders. Over the victim's family's objection, the judge accepted Heather's guilty plea and sentenced Heather to 20 years in jail and 10 years of probation. Burnett, although the first to be tried, was the last of the group to be sentenced. On February 11, 2016, four years since the murders, Burnett was sentenced to eight years of confinement followed by 40 years of probation. According to WSA V3 News, It's up to the Department of Corrections to determine if the four years that Burnett had already served will count towards his eight-year sentence. 
but the Fear 4 saga would haunt the army for many years. In 2014, Mike Rourke and Tiffany York's parents filed a $30 million wrongful death lawsuit against the army under the Federal Tort Claims Act. There are a lot of nitty-gritty details surrounding that lawsuit, the Fairies Doctrine, what the Army investigators knew, what they didn't know, what they should have done, etc. But in an interesting turn of events, in 2018, as reported by Task and Purpose, the Army settled the lawsuit for $4 million. Ultimately, in coming to a settlement, the government didn't admit any wrongdoing in the handling of the Agigi case. Of the entire Fort Stewart Fear 4 murders, Tiffany's mother said, quote, These were American soldiers in her own backyard. What parent ever imagines that their daughter is going to be murdered by soldiers? End quote. This case reminds me of Episode 8, Marines Killing Marines. But this time, it's Soldiers Killing Soldiers. I think this case should act as a huge cautionary tale for people in the military especially. People in the military have a million reasons to be disgruntled. Not making promotion, getting deployed, not getting deployed, being separated from their families, not getting the base of their choice. And let's not forget about the mental illness that prevails among the military population. My whole point is, let's be good battle buddies. If you see someone isn't acting right, ask them what's up. You'd be surprised how sometimes you just have to ask and people will open up. And then you can be the voice of reason. And there are so many helping agencies out there that can help. And I get it. At the end of the day, everybody can't be helped. But if there's something you can do, you should do it. And let's not forget my true crime army rule. Speak up. You could save a life. Yep, that's still a good rule. All right, let's keep the conversations going on social media. You can find me at Military Murder Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook at Military True Crime. If you guys are digging this podcast and the stories that I bring you every week, make sure that you share it with a friend. And don't forget to leave a review. You can do that on Apple Podcast. You can also do that on my Facebook or you can do that on CastBox. You don't know how much this means to me, but it means the world. This show is still new and the only way to get discovered by more people is the social proof that real people like you like the show. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions. Research help for this episode came from Beth Coleman of the Case Remains podcast. All of the music was created by TyOps. Check out the show notes for a direct link to my sources page. And until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Let's work on another podcast.